morning, everyone. This is your host, Cody Mochiaro, and this is the first episode of the AC Cody podcast. This is a little bit of an impromptu, improvised podcast, episode one. I decide to put this together after making my uh, 10 favorite movies of all time list yesterday. So, <clears throat> I guess I'm just going to be explaining what my 10 favorite movies of all time are in, in like, in detail. So, right here I have, you know, as I just said, and I'm going to start from 10 to 1. So, starting with number 10, we have Super Dark Times. Now, this movie I discovered a while back in, like, um, I think it was, I think I discovered it back in March. And this movie just blew me away by how, like, impressive it was. Like, it's a story about two friends who witnessed something that they shouldn't have witnessed. And over the course of the movie, this breaks them apart as friends. But that's all I could say because there's a lot more going on in that I can't say because I don't want to ruin it for people. So this is... Uh, the directorial debut by director Kevin Phillips and basically all of the great things about this movie can be summed up with its cinematography its acting its script its uh it, its directing style and editing choices are fucking amazing like, the cinematography is so beautiful. It's It has, like, this dark and dreary, like, mood to it. But during the daytime scenes, it has this, like, very beautiful, like, composition of how it utilizes the sun and how it utilizes shadows and close-ups. And the editing really complements it, too. Like the like the directing and the shot composition lifts up the editing and the editing vice versa in that respect so for a it's very impressive for a directorial debut because it seems that Kevin Phillips has a good grasp on how to handle actors and how to handle um groups of people and how to handle the dynamic between different characters, right? And it just slowly descends into this into this crevice of depression and darkness and it has this very 90s edgy vibe to it, but nothing that's like in your face or like shoved down your throat and stuff like that. It has it's very well handled and a lot of the greatest parts like come across like they come they come across with like the subtleties that you would expect in a uh, in a well-produced movie like this and everybody does a great job in it charlie tahan uh who plays one of the leads he's i i've seen him in ozark but that's all i that's all i know him. I'm, I'm, I'm sure he's in more stuff for sure but that's all i know him but he he does a great job in this movie and the kids actually feel like you know the real kids you know um, I forget the actor's name who plays, uh, Zach, but he, he's a great actor too. And he really does a good job, you know, because he's the main, main character. He does a good job, like handling the movie by himself. 
And I think, I don't want to spoil anything, but I think it, when, it, when the story is wrapped up and it comes full circle, they do a great job of expressing their frustrations with each other and how much like this incident has wrecked them. And the girl playing um, Allison, she's great too. You know, she, she has this like very like warm, like comforting vibe throughout the whole movie. And she does a great job of portraying this character. It feels so realistic. Like it feels like a girl that I actually know. And, you know, with that being said, um, the script really does make it feel like these are real kids, you know, talking and like spitting out like juvenile like disgusting shit you know that's how that's how kids really talk they go on ramblings about dumb shit that doesn't even matter but you know that's that's how we do (laughs) that's how they do at least so yeah super dark times very great movie it's on netflix so it's easily accessible so i would highly recommend for anybody who just wants an a nice indie horror teen thriller you know so that's number 10. Number nine, we have Green Room. Now, for anybody who has seen Green Room, um, they may not agree with me. Now, I'm not saying that this is the 10 best movies of all time. This is just my favorite movies of all time. All right, and this is just, just solely my opinion right here. So Green Room, it is about this punk rock band who plays at a, plays a gig at a neo-Nazi warehouse. And, well, I don't want to spoil much, but let's just say they see something that they shouldn't have, and it all spirals into chaos from there. So, I would like to just shout out to Jeremy Selinger, if that's how I pronounce your name correctly. He does a great job of, well, first, I just want to talk about his first movie, Blue Ruin, which was an amazing like indie accomplishment, right? He was very low budget, but he somehow was able to elevate it to something that looked like it was high budget. So for that, I, I commend him. And with this follow-up, um, he does a great job with setting the, the color palette of this entire movie, obviously by the title, is green, right? But it does a great job of making it feel natural and very like dark and somewhat gothic if that makes sense i don't know that's kind of how i saw it but it's a very violent fucked up movie and it's like so depressing it's it has you on the edge of the edge of your seat this whole time you know anton yelchin rest in peace plays pat who is the main character he's not the leader of the band but he's the main character right and that's the one you're who you're focused on the most right and this survival between the punk rock band and the neo-nazis is like such a it's such it's like i said before it's like on you're on the edge of your seat the whole time because you don't know who is gonna like end up alone and then get killed and you don't know who is gonna like get the gun first and then shoot the other guy right because the neo-nazis you know they're trying to be smart about this they don't want to like outright kill them or anything like that I don't want to spoil too much. I think I might have just accidentally let out a little bit too much. But all in all, Green Room, 
has great acting, great, great special effects, great shot composition, and great directing from Jeremy. So it's also on Netflix too. These, these movies that I'm listing off are somewhat easily easily accessible, right? For the other ones, you might have to go into a bit of the either pirating or renting on fucking Amazon or Tubi or whatever the hell range, you know? So Green Room, it's a great way to start. So next we have Children of Men. Okay, this is a really good movie. This has, this stars, um, okay, no, the director is Alfonso Coron, who, uh, some of you might not know, but he's part of, like, the big three of, um, Mexican directors, right next to, um, Alejandro Iñárritu and Guillermo del Toro, he's part of the big three, and he has made Roma, he has made uh gravity but gravity wasn't that good so i don't know why i mentioned that but he's a very very skilled director and this movie is just him highlighting how skillful he is as a director aside from the great acting the great special effects and the great storyline which is emotionally powerful and you know resonant with today's society society in every way the 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 big standout in this movie is the cinematography. There are a lot of long takes in this movie that are some of the most impressive long takes ever put to screen in film history. It's it's crazy. Like there's one long take that just takes a place inside of a tiny car and there's an action sequence going on outside. And this car, it's like a very tiny car. It's like some it's like a Volkswagen bug or something like that. Or I don't know, like, what what do they drive in post-apocalyptic Britain? Or something like that. I don't know. But it's very impressive. And that's only the first, like, long... T- that's not even the longest long take in the movie. The final one is this war action sequence that takes place during, you know, a fight between the resistance fighters and, like, the government army or whatever. And... Basically, there's a lot of things that happen on accident in that, but they leave it in because they cannot afford to mess it up. And somehow, those little accidents make it so much more better. Like, without spoiling anything, there's this one part where one, like, an, like a character, like, not, not an important character, just, like, a, like, a nameless, like, extra gets shot, and the blood squid that they use exploded, and some of it hit the camera right and the director alfonso said cut but all that but his like cut was like drowned out by cannon fire and stuff like that right so they had to keep going and eventually the 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 director of cinematography emmanuel lubetsky i think convinced them to keep it in and that actually made the movie much better and much more realistic so, Children of Men, starring Clive Owen, uh, has a great, uh, has a has a great story, great great themes too. You know about humanity, and the willingness to preserve life, and how far like people should go to, say either save the world or like keep the world in their own hands, right? And it's it's a very interesting like experience to watch, right? Of this 
distant alternate future that's slowly diving into chaos. I haven't even talked about the story. I guess I could say this without spoiling anything. So basically, the world um, woman cannot have babies anymore. That's the, that's the story, right? And Clive Owen's character is forced to um, like uh, hustle this woman who is actually pregnant across to uh, people that can get the baby delivered and, you know, save the world, right? So that's the whole, whole story, but there's a lot more that goes on. And it's very, it's very interesting to see because not everybody can be, not everybody is who they say they are, you know? So, Zez Zat. So that's number eight. Number seven, we have Jurassic Park. Oh boy. Okay, what can I say about this that everybody hasn't already said? I guess I'll just speak my mind, but Jurassic Park holds a very you know, holds a very deep spot in my heart, even as a kid when I watched it, and it still does, still as a kid, I don't know, I'm I'm 17 at the time of recording this, but it does everything, well, mostly everything right. The practical effects were, were very groundbreaking at the time, and it was very impressive to see, even today, even the today, like the effects that I see there, are way better than some of the effects I see in modern blockbusters. Like, fucking Jurassic World just looks like... And and its sequel looks like shit. But Jurassic Park, like, it looks so good and so realistic because of the decisions that they made to try and mask that little imperfections that they had at the time, you know, using nighttime and rain to kind of, like, mask uh, some of the little, you know, stuff that they did wrong, you know. It made a thousand times better right and that's just the cgi they use like legit impressive ass practical effects in that movie like the t-rex model stan winston made a giant like t-rex animatronic right that you can control and stuff right it wasn't always perfect you know in the behind the scenes you know sometimes rain got in and you know got the shakes you know they had to mop it down and so they could do some more takes but it was very impressive at the time, and it still is impressive today how they were able to create costumes for all these dinosaurs, right? And these animatronic uh, to make these creatures feel more alive, right? And for a dinosaur movie, it actually had a pretty sharp script. Like, I believe the characters, and I was worried whenever they were in danger, right? There wasn't like a single, okay, well, maybe there was like one or two annoying characters, but I feel like that was intentional right that was the point of them you know but all the other characters they they were they were they were pretty solid characters i didn't feel like oh my god just eat these people like as i felt in the other jurassic park movies you know this one i was it was tense you know i i i cared about these characters and like i really wanted them to make it out alive so it was a pretty, it was a really great achievement by director Steven Spielberg and um, effects supervisor Stan Winston to put all this together and make a film that pretty much changed the movie industry forever, pretty much. So that was really, 
really um, impressive at the time. So yeah, that was, it was a really, it was a really great movie um, seeing it as a young tyke, you know, so up versus in dinosaurs, you know, AC, no, no, like fucking Dino Cody, you know, I think that's what was kind of, kind of inspired me right next to Calvin and Hobbes. And it was a really good time of my life, you know, just hunting dinosaurs and stuff like that, you know. So all being said, Jurassic Park earns its spot on my list at number seven. All right, number six, we got Akira by Katsuhiro Otomo. And it was, okay, for those of you who don't know, yes, I am a weeb. Make fun of me as much as you want, but, you know, fuck it. <laughs> we only live once. So, um, Akira was, at the time, very groundbreaking, right? And it was the anime movie that changed everything, if that makes sense. It was very impressive from an animation standpoint and from... Um, a voice acting standpoint because for those who don't know um, anime today and I guess like at the time too they had uh, they had um, the actors uh, voice their uh, voice their characters after the animation was right right so it was the actor's job to match up to the lip flaps that you see on screen but I mean, that's what Japan does. America, America does, or, or like, every other country does it different. You know, they do the animation after the voices. But for, for Akira, they changed it up. They had the voices before the animation, and they wrote the, the lip flaps to fit the Japanese dialogue, right? So the words move like they would move in real life. They're not just up, down, close, open, you know, all that stuff. So... It was pretty cool seeing them, like, go against that grain of, you know, this is what we're doing. You know, I know other people are doing it this way, but this is how we're going to do it. And I thought that was pretty cool, you know, to just go against the norms at the time, you know. So, um, the reason I didn't talk about, like, what Jurassic Park, I mean, everybody's seen Jurassic Park, right? But I'm going to talk about Akira because I don't know if everybody's seen Akira. But Akira is basically about a biker gang who, one of its members, develops psychic powers, right? And this is in the middle of a coup d'etat by Neo-Tokyo's um, people against the government, right? So with that, with that storyline developing and the other storyline developing, it all comes together and chaos reigns, <laughs> you know? So... It's a very, very, uh, it's a very, it's a very great movie in the regards of its animation, like I said before, but also in its storyline and in the impressiveness of how they were able to do all this stuff back in 1988. Like, some of the things I haven't mentioned, like, they had to invent new colors for, um, yeah, new colors for Akira. Like, I think it was about, like, 60 new colors for that and all of it was hand drawn right cgi was not used at all well cgi was used in one part 
that involve like a computer graph, but that's it, right? Everything was hand drawn. If you look at the behind the scenes, it's very impressive because a lot of the stuff you could have sworn like they used three D, but no, it was just all hand drawn. All that little, all the little bits, all the little metal parts, all the like blood and guts and whatever, because it's a pretty violent movie, right? But it's impressive how they did that all by hand, right? And at the time, it was the highest budget of a Japanese film like ever I think so yeah that was pretty impressive how they were able to put that together and I also think how it's cool that (laughs) they they had two dubs of this movie the 1988 dub and the 2001 pioneer dub 2001 pioneer dub is fantastic I mean it's not perfect but it's way, way better than the 1988 dub, which just sounds like dog shit. <laughs> it's, it's kind of hilarious, actually. Like, you can look up clips on YouTube of the 1988 dub, and you can see a clear difference between that, clear difference of quality between that and the 2001 Pioneer dub. So, yeah, kind of, it's kind of interesting to see how these, those things go. So all in all, Akira is an ama- is one of the best anime movies ever. It's the one that really brought anime to the attention from the West. And that was a pretty big, like, great accomplishment. Like Dragon Ball Z, like we all think of that as like the first one, or at least like the one that like started it all. Well, that's partially true. It's it's mainly from Akira. And you don't have to be an anime fan to enjoy Akira. So Akira earns its place on number six. All right, number five, we have Alien from 1979 by director Ridley Scott. Now, this movie... Oh, shit. Now, this movie is very, very impressive from a technical standpoint. So at the time, right... There was, you know, at the, at, the, at the time, right, there was um, the norm that, you know, movie monsters and creatures had to be, like, humanoid, right? They had to be, like, part man. You know, like, you know the fish man, you got the fucking wolf man, you got the, the lizard man, all that stuff, right? But Alien, it was kind of a game changer because... Audiences had never seen anything like this before. You know, they had never seen something that looked so creepy and disgusting, but at the same time, beautiful, right? H.R. Geiger was the man to put that all together. And he created a very sinister-looking beast of a monster. And that worked really well for what they were going for because the crew of the Nostromo, which is the spaceship that arrives on the alien planet, they didn't know what they were going against, right? Just like the audience, right? So it works from that standpoint that the, the, the crew doesn't know what they're dealing with and the, um, fucking, uh, and like the audience doesn't know what they're dealing with. So, it's very interesting to see how it develops with this slow escalation of fear. And in the end, it has to be... Uh, okay, without spoiling anything, 
I, I guess this is going to be a spoiler, so I'm just going to keep it to myself. But it's the crew trying to fight off this alien, right, that they can't really kill because... Kill, why did I say it like that? That they can't really kill because it has... Well, for those of you who don't know, the alien has acid blood, right? So if they kill the alien, then the acid blood would just, like, rip through the ship's interior, right, and kill them all. So they have to be smart with it, you know? So this alien movie does what all the alien... Well, with the exception of aliens, you know, it does what all the other ones couldn't do because it has this very clear um it has like very likable characters and they spent um like the first part of the movie the first hour i believe uh just developing these characters making you care for them right so that's why when somebody becomes alien you know food it's much more impactful because of how sad it is to see some of these people go you know, so I think it was a great decision to spend more time on the blood, guts, and gore than it was on, oh wait, no, I, I said that wrong, it, it was good to spend um, less time on the blood, guts, and gore, and it was a better idea to spend more time on, um, the characters, right, and developing them and seeing how they interact with one another. And that was a great decision by director Ridley Scott. So, Alien uh, is fucking terrifying. And I have no shame saying that. Alien is a goddamn fantastic movie. And I am definitely going to see it again with different people. See how they react to it. All right, next, we got Spirited Away. Okay, this is a big boy that we're going to have to tackle. So Spirited Away is, is by Hayao Miyazaki, one of the greatest anime directors of all time. And he, um, it's a story about this girl named Shihiro who gets trapped in the spirit world, right? And she has to save her parents from becoming pigs. I know that's pretty weird, but trust me, it's it's way better than it sounds. So Shihiro um, has the goddamn uh, amazing privilege to be placed in a world so beautiful and so mystical from, you know, from our from a human standpoint, you know, and the movie itself, like I know this is gonna sound weird, but it's so like it's so goddamn beautiful, you know. It has this. I mean, it might, I mean, how, it's hard to get the words out for something like this, but despite how threatening it is, you know, for a human, it's just something that I would want to live in because it has this very whimsical feeling to it that not a, a lot of other films can go it. It has great animation, you know, it had, I, th- I think I think George Lucas had a part of it, you know, d- you know Disney and all that shit. But or maybe it was Steven Spielberg. I don't know. I'm kind of getting like too mixed up. But in that regard, it was very impressive 
from an animation standpoint and it was very good how um it made me care for Shihiro who starts off as an annoying little uh you know I was I was gonna say the certain word but never mind I'm just gonna keep it to myself it was very impressive how um uh it made me care for her over time right and the ending holy shit I just sobbed like a bitch you know it was it was so sad <laughs> but no I mean I wasn't sad it, it was it was bittersweet that's that's the better word it, it was good it was it was sad in a good way you know and um all the characters have like a good dynamic with each other right including the boy and even the witch you know even though she was like the big bad in the movie she's still um I still kind of cared for her you know if that makes sense like I, I just I was just so in, in, interested with these characters that I wanted to all I wanted to do was like get to the next scene to see like what they were up to next you know that's that's a good that's a good sign that you've done something really good you know so that's a great you know thing to discuss so spirited away um I don't know if you guys know who this is but um the the character of no face he has an iconic design to him and really all the uh creatures in that movie have like iconic designs to them but he he is the one that stands out the most because it's so simple but it's so effective at the same time and how that has like resonated with pop culture in the last couple of years um is is pretty astounding you know how they were able to do all that shit. But, yeah, I see this all the time, you know. I just see, like, girls at school, you know, wearing, like, a shirt of no face. And I think that's pretty cool, you know, how um, it got to that point of people not only caring about his character, but also, like, loving his design. And that is, like, courtesy of Hayao Miyazaki. So, great job to you, man. Um... I'm glad you could do it. So, that is Spirited Away, you know. Great movie, great animation, great characters, and great music, too. Especially that last song. That makes me cry like a bitch every single time I hear it. No joke. So, that is that. So, anyways, um, next we have Full Metal Jacket, number three. Okay. I know I'm probably going to get a lot of hate for this, but I think the second half of Full Metal Jacket, you know, where they're actually in the war, is just as good, if not better, than the first half, alright? Let me explain. So, yeah, let me make it clear, I love the first half. You know, first half is iconic, you know, has hilarious dialogue in a good way, and it has great performances and has a great pace and progression of how boot camp affects these characters you know and it's very interesting to see the descent of of madness for one into madness for one character and how it all comes down in the end of the first half so uh i think his name was um, fuck, what was his name? It was, like, Gunry... No, it wasn't... That's his character name. It was, like, Hartman or something like that. 
Lee, Lee, Lee Army, or something. I can't remember his name, but I, but we all know who I'm talking about. The guy who plays the drill sergeant. He does a phenomenal job of making it, of making like his dialogue realistic, you know? That was an amazing like job on his part. And I think it's good how they were able to um, make uh, all the characters seem like realistic in that aspect. How um, in the end of the the film, you know, everything that happened before has like much deeper meaning, and how um, it is a movie about like the brutality of war. It's not to show how war is so cool. You know, all these guys are badass. You know, all these guys are tired. They're scared because one like small bullet can just end their life right there right and they're in the middle of a zone where anybody from anywhere can shoot you and kill you and end your life you know that's the end of your existence right there you know it's a very depressing movie because these guys have to make like very tough decisions to um very tough decisions in order to survive and keep their fellow brothers alive, you know? So, and I think one scene that stands out to me was Joker's duality of man moment, where he, so for those who haven't seen the movie, the main character, Joker, wears a peace badge on his chest, but he also wears a helmet called Born to Kill, right? And the the fucking um oh yeah one of his like uh supervisors uh questions him about that and he's like you wear born a kill on your helmet and you wear a peace badge is that some kind of sick joke and joker's like i think i was trying to suggest something about the duality of man the the youngian thing and it's so good because how the the fucking um Fuck, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, the drill sergeant. Well, no, not the drill sergeant. Like, just the sergeant, I think, is, like, kind of dumbfounded by his answer. He's like, who started you on? You know, something, something like that. And I'm like, fuck, that's... <laughs> I'm like, that's so amazing, you know, how um, it got me to think about, you know, how humans are just, like, very, very, like, weird, dare I say, like, creatures and shit like that, you know, how one second they can be savages and the next second they could be like um you know innocent and like gentle and whatnot right i think that's what joker's trying to um tackle there and it's a very good theme to think about you know how the 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 dealing of propaganda and all this stuff that comes around in, in this movie is just a very interesting thing to tackle so Stanley Kubrick has created one of the greatest movies of all time one of the greatest war movies of all time and one of the greatest Vietnam movies of all time right so Full Metal Jacket earns its spot at number three number two we have Whiplash 
by director Damien Chazelle. Okay. God, where do I even begin with this one? This movie is a fucking masterpiece, alright? Let me tell you. So, this movie is about a kid named Andrew Neiman who wants to be um, one of the greatest drummers ever, right? So, he's under the um, the teachings of fuck um a J.K. Simmons character whose name is uh, Terrence Fletcher, who is basically, well, it's this isn't that in the movie, but if I had to describe him, he's basically a drill instructor turned into a music teacher. Now he's not an actual drill instructor. He I'm just describing him like that, you know. But holy fuck. This movie is fucking intense for, you know, just like a musical jazz movie or whatever the hell, right? This has very good, it has amazing acting, it has amazing editing and shot composition. It has amazing cinematography and what's great about it is how... It's able to, um, sorry about that, I'm playing a game right now and I'm kind of getting distracted a bit, but it's fucking amazing how it's able to do all this, um, all this stuff, right, and everybody I've, God, I'm getting so sidetracked right now, but everybody I've shown this film to loves it, right, there's not a single person that... Uh, said it was all right, or, you know, it was, it was good, you know, they said that it was great, and that they loved it, right, and it's so, it, this movie has, like, a lot of lessons to teach, um, like, the drive for, like, greatness, and how, um, maybe sometimes po- uh, negative reinforcement can be a good thing, you know, and it's a very interesting dynamic to see how it all comes together in that regard, you know, so, fuck, I'm messing this up, this is my first podcast ever, and I'm not really good at conveying what I want to say, (laughs) but, fuck, it's such a good goddamn movie, like, ending is one of the most satisfying endings ever, right, and I swear, by the time it's over, you just, it will leave you begging for more, basically, (laughs) you know, so, yeah, um, Whiplash, great movie, uh, one of the best movies of 2014, and I cannot recommend it enough. So, next we have, no, finally we have my favorite movie of all time, Mad Max Fury Road. This movie, oh my god, this movie. This fucking movie. Where do I even begin? This movie is, without a doubt, one of the greatest action movies ever made. And that is no joke. This movie is so goddamn good. It... Okay, and I just won the game. Nice. So... I'm feeling pretty happy right now, now that I finally beat the game, which is Fortnite, by the way. Yes, I am playing Fortnite. Call me a noob as much as you want, but 
that's that's quarantine changes the man (laughs) but now that i'm done with that i can finally put my uh thoughts on this recording without um having to be distracted so mad max fury road oh my god this movie director george miller has created one of the greatest action movies of all time right he directed all the other mad max movies right but this one holy fuck this is a goddamn roller coaster of a movie this has you placed within the eyes of Max Rockentansky, played by Tom Hardy, and Imperator Furiosa, played by Charlize Theron, right? And they're both fighting for the role of main character in this movie, pretty much. But it's so good how it's able to create action that's so great, so, um, so realistic, too, because... Like, 90% of all the stunts in this movie are legit practical effects. No, I mean, yes, there is a lot of CGI in this movie, right? But it's hardly noticeable, right? And that's how good it is. The best CGI is the kind that you don't notice is even there, right? That's how good it needs to be. And that's how good it is in this movie. Because, basically, you're so focused on... The, the real explosions, the real cars, the real stuntmen who are jumping off those cars and landing on the fucking sand. And it's all like a circus of... It's all a symphony of destruction, chaos, violence, and explosions, right? But it's done in such a great way. Um, the cinematography is fantastic. The music by Junkie XL is fantastic like oscar worthy right there directing is directing is great the editing which was edited by george miller's wife right it was so it flowed so well with the whole movie because they had like hours upon hours of all this footage right and it was edited together so neatly the act no the act the acting's great the um, the the script it's it's decent it's a decent script all right but that's not like the fo- supposed to be the focus of the movie right? the focus is on the the visuals right because George Miller made this movie with the intention of um fuck uh, the the intention of like other countries seeing it without having to use subtitles right and I think he did a pretty good job in that regard even the color correcting right because we all know. A post-apocalyptic Australia isn't that orange, right? The sky is is never that blue, right? So, the color correcting does a great job, even during the nighttime scenes. Like it's just all blue, but it's it does a great job of it. It never lost me for a second, right? Like this movie demands like every single like attention to detail, right? And it rewards you for paying attention, right? Without having to shove bullshit exposition like in your face it does a great job of doing all that without having to be obvious about all of its stuff so i don't want to keep you all here for too long and by you all i don't know who'd, who'd be watching this you know it's a, <laughs> i don't know but uh to sum it up mad max Fury road is my favorite movie of all time and i hope i can live up to that level of quality with movies that i create in the future so That is the end of the Cody Mochiaro podcast, AC Cody podcast.
<laughs> this was quite a doozy, so I think I'm just gonna log off without having to keep you guys here for long with mindless chatter. So, adios.